John Cusera, the VP of Product Management at Salesforce, and Taxina Amano, the VP of AI and Automation Service Cloud at Salesforce, work together on a mission to bring automation into the hands of customers. On this episode of IT Visionaries, they explain what they focus on when thinking about automation, and they discuss the role automation and RPA will play in the future of work and life. Enjoy this episode. IT Visionaries is created by the team at mission.org and brought to you by the Salesforce Customer 360 platform. This episode is part of a special series on the Salesforce Customer 360 platform, the platform that powers the world's number one CRM. In this series, executives from Salesforce will discuss how using 10 innovative technologies, including AI, blockchain, and automation, can help you drive the digital transformation of every experience and get you closer to your customers. Welcome to another episode of IT Visionaries. I'm Ian Faison, Chief Content Officer here at Mission.org. And we have on the other line, two special guests. Texina, what's going on? Hi, um, I'm calling in from Vancouver, Canada right now. The, I'm sure it's sunny and warm. <laughs> it's a little gloomy, but hopefully that also means snow up in the mountains. And John, how are you? Uh, having fun thinking about what future we should be planning for next year with our team. It's been a really fun week. Yeah, so we are recording this right before the holidays. It'll go sometime, uh, sometime live next year. And we wanted to bring on both of you to talk about automation um, and some of the cool stuff that is going on at Salesforce. Obviously, the Salesforce Customer 360 platform is the amazing sponsor of this show. But we, uh, we want to bring on Salesforce folks from time to time to talk about the amazing stuff that you all are building. And so I, I guess let's start with you, Texina. Tell me a little bit about what your current role is and what you're working on. Yeah, so I lead AI and automation for our service cloud. Really what I think about um, here is how do we bring intelligence and automation into that service experience? Service is changing so much. It's around, you know, it's not only in the post-purchase phase, but it's in the pre-purchase purchasing and post-purchase phase. It's like, how do we use automation to really improve productivity um, and really reduce customer resolution times for both our customers, our agents, and all those mobile field workers? And John, what about you? Uh, so I also lead a group of product managers in Salesforce. And what I'm super excited about is that there's never been a better time to be in automation. And so half of what we think about is how can we help folks like Taxina's teams create these tools of the future, given there's all these changes. You've got the user interfaces are changing from point and click to voice to uh, even other uh, aspects of automation. And then also, we have our, as part of our charter, driving massive adoption of flow builder and process builder and Einstein next best action so that we can help all of you create basically the automation of the future for a fraction of the cost to integrate with all of those different tools you have and make better decisions. And so I want to take a step back for a second and say, let's talk automation in general. It's kind of a loaded term right now. Uh, or maybe it's always been a loaded term, I suppose. Um, but it means a lot of different things to a lot of different people. So Taisino, let's start with you. Like, what do you, what do you see as automation right now? Yeah, well, I mean, if you think about it, really, automation's like, you know, a, def a defined process and actions that really can kind of be done by machines, like without, you know, with little to no human interaction, right? If you can standardize, 
repeatable actions and you can digitize them, we can really now create these, you know, automation. Automation's been around, you know, for a very long time through the industrial revolutions, et cetera. Uh, and right now we're at the nexus where much of those processes are digitized and we can now start to really leverage those to create these new different customer experiences for our customers. And so I think for a lot of customers that I talk to, they're thinking a lot about what to automate, uh, how to automate, and then what should you be listening to? What is the future experience I'm trying to design for, for, you know, specifically within the customer service realm? And what are some of those, uh, what are some of those experiences? What are some of the things that you're seeing uh, at, at the front lines that people are working on? Yeah, I mean, I think a lot of people think a lot about chatbots, right? If you think, so in the continuum of let customers come to us, before a customer even contacts your contact center, they're already trying to self-serve. They're going on your website, they're going into their help documentation, trying to find information first, right? It might be because, you know, they're a busy small business owner and they're having to sort of get to this at the end of their day. Or if you're a mom like me of two kids, like, you know, I'm trying to do this in between meetings or trying to like, you know, drop the kids off, et cetera and try to get information. So there's this element of self-service that is already happening and how much can I self-serve with the information around? You know, it would really be easy to just you know, ask about where my order is, you know, when is my new tax form due, et cetera, with, you know, we presented with Prudential at Dreamforce and, you know, it's just really simple things that we could go and help customers on the self-service side. But then transforming that, transforming that experience a little more is like, how do I now help my agents in the contact center? Now, my agents, you know, they're really in that swivel chair motion. They're going between like 13 screens. We have a real, you know, continue to have a retention issue in the contact center. So how do we help employees like feel like they've come in and they can deliver really great work. They get on and really create a really great customer experience. And I don't think anyone starts their day with, oh, I want to give bad customer experience and um, bad customer service. They're just hampered by the tools that they have and, you know, the access to information to really deliver um, and resolve your problem then and there. And so how do we help leverage what the automation tools we have today to kind of really build that and create for our agents a quicker way to help them resolve? And then when you think about the field, how does somebody then like if I, you know, my devices are all connected today um, and John and I work very closely here on this, you know, an IoT device comes in and gives me a signal that it's broken. How can I interpret that information and now create a case to go and resolve it and arm my technician who's out in the field with the right parts, the right tools and getting them at the right time to then be able to deliver and complete that job and, you know, and be one and done. So all of these experiences now, we're in a place where all these automation and um, tools that we can have can really create a much more seamless experience for our customers. And bridging all of that together is really the challenge and opportunity we have with our customers. Yeah, and we'll get into uh, the use cases or some some cool like use cases and things like that a little bit later. But um, you know, John, your thoughts? So I view automation as fundamentally a technology to save humans time or help make better decisions. And you see this across the board with so many different scenarios. And one of the things I find fascinating about where we are is that in the past, when you had code, you could basically use code to solve problems. So if you had, say, a $5 million problem where it's critical to your business, you'd write a lot of code. And it was okay to spend half a million bucks on that code to solve that problem. 
as our tools continue to get better and we continue to make these things easier and easier to use and more addressable, whether it's across integration for cross systems or making it so that somebody doesn't have to spend weeks to learn a tool, you can then start to use automation not just for the million dollar problems, but for the $100,000 problems and the $50,000 problems and the $10,000 problems. And so you're seeing this massive surge in automation across all parts of the business, which can basically help you transform the critical things you need to do as customers. It can help you sell more by both getting more productivity out of the people that are trying to make those decisions and help them make smarter decisions. It can help you with customer services Taxina is super focused on. And it can even further help you delight your customers by either giving them faster experiences where they don't have to spend as much time getting answers uh, and helping them help themselves even when there may not be people available. And so I'm super excited about where we're at in the market right now. And there's just so much opportunity to even further push the boundaries on what we can provide to everybody. Yeah, I like that idea of, you know, the $10,000 problems and things like that, because I think a lot of times automation is something that is kind of seems like you need a certain amount of like scope and scale and things in order to get kind of the benefits of automation. Like, well, you need X amount of, you know, people at, you know, your, your service desk, or you need X amount of people, you need X amount of people across sales. So is that the case? Like, what are some of those smaller kind of ways that people are using automation? Well, I think it also depends on company size as well, because one company's $10,000 problem is another company's million dollar problem. And so one example is new hire onboarding. So everybody has a new hire onboarding process, and usually they're riddled with problems. For smaller companies, it might be a five dollars or $10,000 problem. How do I make sure that I am seamlessly signing up users in the right systems and making sure that on day one, they actually have a computer, they have a phone, they can log into their productivity software, they've got a Salesforce log and other things. And so for a small company, that's a small problem. They might be only willing to invest a little bit and it's okay to have some people power involved. And then as you scale up your organization, it becomes increasingly important to take even more and more steps out of it because otherwise you're gonna be throwing people at the problem. And so that's just one example on the HR side. Of course, you have things like in sales. So very basic things like, I wanna make sure that we have a re refined sales process, which we actually do at Salesforce through high velocity sales. And I wanna make sure that we have a certain number of touch points, whether it's making phone calls, or sending out emails, or other outbound touches. And so how can you make sure that you can save all of these clicks for people so that they're able to reach out to more and more people, but also do it in a more precise way with better information that can help them better make decisions. And so our goal is to continue to make these tools more and more accessible and easier to customize. So regardless of whether you're a small company with a small scale or a massive company with complex needs, we've got you covered. I want to take a quick step back and talk a little bit about both of you. Texina, how did you get into technology in the first place? <laughs> um, so I think it was like year eight or something. Um, I, so uh, my father refused to um, sign off on my electives for school. He was like, you've got to do computing. And I had to trade then like geography or something, some cool subject. And I, I went to a Catholic girls school, and so all girls school. So it wasn't a, you know, a filled up class by any means. So, you know, I would sort of join the class 
And like, I think my first in that year wrote a program and it was like this expert system. It was like, a, you know, an, the classification of the animal kingdom and everything from, you know, they ask you questions on, based on the responses, it would say, you yeah, you were an amphibian, a crustacean, a mammal, etc." And it was like printed on this like reams and reams of dot matrix printing. And it was just, it was just so fun. I, I really enjoyed the process of like these, you know, requirements and structured sort of information you type in and you can build logic and out of that logic you kind of got this structure out of it and so kind of just got hooked from there uh and i think some family friends like sold us their amiga 500 and we we went from there that's great john what about you uh, i have always loved technology in undergrad i studied electrical engineering and i basically failed at debugging and so i thought i was just bad at it but it turned out that I just was really bad at figuring out how to test as you go. So we'd build a robot and there'd be a schematic with a hundred wires and different pieces of hardware you put together. And my silly way of doing it was I would put all 100 in at once, click the on button, and then it just wouldn't work. And I wouldn't know if a resistor had burnt out or if I had a wire in the wrong place because I hadn't been trained in it. So one takeaway I actually realized about 10 years later is the importance of good debugging tools, which is something that we focus on within our tools. And so then flash forward, I actually flipped into consumer products. So I worked at Gatorade and PepsiCo doing a job that most people didn't know was a job. My job was to purchase the beverage labels that go on the bottle and try to save 3% every year. And one of the really interesting pieces there is that automation has basically been a part of my entire career. Whether it was at UPS before that, helping create access databases to manage what schedules we were doing for predictive maintenance, or at Gatorade, I created this access database, which at the time was revolutionary. We got out of Excel, and we could then actually see what are all the 450 varieties of beverage labels, and how much inventory did we have, and how much were we forecasted to need. And we would email these databases back and forth. This was the cloud at the time. It was emailed Microsoft Access databases. And this basically gave us transformational visibility and saved a ton of time for everything. And then we rinsed and repeated that at PepsiCo. So that super sparked my interest in the idea of basically making software at scale. Uh, and that's what ended up getting me into product management at Salesforce, where I feel super fortunate to be able to take some of those ideas and translate them and have a bigger impact. So any tricks to uh, making labels that we don't know about? Oh my goodness, so many. Are we talking about pressure-sensitive labels like Sobe, where it's basically a sticker that goes on? Or are we talking about a Pepsi 2-liter where you basically wrap them around and then you have the glue at the end? Uh, there's a lot of details in them. Uh, one of the key things is don't run out. It's pretty silly to lose <laughs> out on 10 cents order of profit by not having a half a cent label. Yeah, no kidding. Uh, and so I've learned that the hard way. Counterpoint, no exactly. labels. What are your thoughts on that? <laughs> bad, bad thing. Make sure that as you have a new product launch that you have Slack in the production line so that if it takes off, you can use that Slack to produce more. We learned that the hard way where we're out over 4 million labels for a new product launch. I think this was Propel Water, which had fancy flavors at the time. Oh, yeah. And it was kind of a disaster because it took off 
And I did not plan ahead to ensure that our manufacturers had slack to be able to produce that. And so instead of paying $10,000 to make sure we had that in the production lines, we basically lost out on probably millions of dollars of profit. Well, you know, it's actually a great segue, you know, back into automation and into things like RPA, because I think for so long, you know, companies like PepsiCo and, and all of these manufacturers had every single thing wired down tight. But for like a lot of knowledge workers where we don't have those sort of things wired down tight, like we don't know exactly how much time it takes to create a, you know, expense report or whatever it is. There's kind of a black box. And now with RPA, we're, we're able to see a little bit more exactly how much that takes and now automate it. What, what are you all you know, excited about for RPA uh, going forward? You know, it's really interesting because um, I, as, as John's telling his story, I remember like, I think a lot about, you know, I spent a lot of my career in business process automation, right? I, sorry, sorry. I spent a lot of time in my career talking about business process re-engineering and like redefining a process. And what we've seen a lot is it's really hard to just automate a bad process. For the longest time, we've just really relied on humans to do that last mile of integration, right? So you've got all these different systems everywhere and people are patching, like you're leveraging humans to go to between all these applications. And we've never actually even seen that, you know, how long it takes, you know, it actually takes, uh, you know, on average 15 minutes to log into all your systems as an example, but without actually like tracking it and, you know, actually adding telemetry to it haven't been able to quantify what that looks like. And so with RPA, um, you know, how long does it take to actually like fill out and recreate, like the key in the same fields into multiple forms every time. And that we're relying on our frontline staff to kind of go do that or, you know, back office processing, um, you know, a process analyst in some way. And so I think uh, for Salesforce, we've been thinking a lot about like, what is the nexus between um, leveraging and unlocking these like, I think MuleSoft says there's like 900 systems to get work done at organizations today and getting that data to actually like create these experiences. And with RPA, well, what we're doing is building partnerships, right, with our with the ecosystem today to allow us to unlock those the legacy information that's in those you know, non-API accessed um, systems today and to partner with MuleSoft to go create rich experiences around API-led experiences as well as process-led experiences. Uh, it kind of creates for us this flywheel effect, if you like, of like being able to leverage data across all these systems. One of the things that brings up for me is I was talking to one of our insurance customers and they have what on the surface seems like a ludicrous value proposition where they will literally accept a handwritten piece of paper as an intake to their change address process. And so you can literally send them a letter inside of a piece of mail saying, hi, I would like to change my address. Can you get it off of the uh, return address from my piece of mail? And so we asked them, have you ever thought about saying no to these customers? And they actually believe that serving this level of customer service is transformational and basically a differentiator for them. And so they've got a very interesting problem of how do they then automate this process where you have basically some scribbles across two different pieces of paper and save a bunch of human time. And so what they're looking at is a hybrid between the API integration technologies and also things like RPA. So what they're doing is they're scanning the images 
with this scan, they can use OCR with RPA to then figure out what is the text within it. They can then basically make API calls with API integration software like MuleSoft to then go create a case. And then they may have somebody doing the quality control on that. And then where you do the actual address change is another legacy system. And so for that one, they don't have APIs today. So they're further using a bot to automate that last mile into the legacy system. So it's really this interesting orchestration between all of these different systems so that they can support both the translation of the analog process into digital, but also translate into the legacy systems and make that change. Yeah, that's great. And so, you know, I think for many organizations, it's hard. You're, you're integrating and using integration to like really focus on your really key critical applications. And then there are all those processes, like John mentions, that just sort of have happened historically all the time in the background. And so like, how do you bridge that gap and how can we make it easier for a user to be on the phone with the customer, sort of be able to leverage that information and be able to kick off these bot processes in the background and sort of go downstream into the back office and actually action these. And so this blend now between enabling and and really making these bots the extension of the workforce and digitizing the work um, is kind of where we're playing now. And, you know, we have to think a lot more about like, how do we now leverage the signals from here to kind of improve the process and the automation such that we're not just creating more sticky tape and glue um, on top of these processes? Yeah, I think that that's one of the concerns that seems kind of obvious to me or a challenge is that if it does feel like it's, it is just that kind of sticky tape of, hey, these are just bad processes to begin with. And now, we're just letting the robots kind of deal with a bad process. Like how big of a challenge is that? And maybe what are some other challenges are you seeing? I think it's a real, uh, you know, I think RPA has had a bad name of, of that in the past. I think all of the vendors in the marketplace today are really leveraging AI to kind of help improve on that and sort of giving along with tools like process discovery, giving more visibility into the process itself, right? And be able to like mine and improve, like where are the roadblocks so that we're not doing that? I think customers today want ROI fast. And so they're definitely trying to find processes that they can kind of quickly automate that are standardized enough and they're using RPA to kind of go bridge that. But, you know, if you have this proliferation of bots, you know, a concern that, you know, I talk to customers about and we think a lot about is how do we ensure the governance and the durability of these processes that are getting automated, right? And how do we start to see a transparency of what got kicked off when, by whom, and, you know, what are their entitlements and how much of that is an RPA bot, an automated process bot, and we're in this place of like governance and transparency and creating you know a view that we understand the flow of information and data so i think that continues to be a challenge that people think about um we're getting roi fast in these discrete processes but as all cios going through this right now and organizations thinking about digital transformation this isn't a silo problem anymore we have to break these silos down and and be able to see processes across groups you know it's no longer you know, what is the customer service experience? It is the, the sales experience, the service experience, the marketing experience, and underlying, like, what are all the back office functions? And so I think RPA and where we're looking at intelligent process automation is thinking much more holistically in an organization's footprint and landscape around, you know, where should we be thinking about 
creating the continuity of these processes. So for the most part, most bots today, those process bots are task oriented. When they become long running processes, this is where we need to start thinking about, you know, how do we, how do we manage and track that across different, different flows? John, what are some other challenges that you see with, with RPA uh, or just, you know, automation in general? I think one question that always comes up that we've been talking about here is, do you literally just translate the solution from whether it's analog or your current process into a more digital version, or do you invest in transformation to fundamentally rethink the process and the problem to not only automate it, but to further take out steps and try to make it more resilient? And there's not always an easy answer. And so, of course, we're going to usually propose that you invest those extra calories to think about transformation so that you're not just taking this analog process, you're basically just slapping some uh, bits and bytes on it and then hoping that that is the way forward. Now, that's easy because you understand how that process works today, but it's usually worth a little bit of that upfront investment to then investigate why do we have those steps there? How can we remove more steps? Um, so some examples are like troubleshooting. We've got a technology company that basically is creating a massive amount of troubleshooting automation. Because in the old world, it would be, hey, I've got a problem with this piece of hardware. And they would uh, call up on the phone or maybe in a more modern way, you go into like a live agent experience where you've got these bots. Uh, one of the things that's tricky about that is, well, you have to hire a lot of people for it, um, but also there's a lot of information that you as the person making this call won't necessarily know. And so what they're doing is they're fundamentally rethinking all the different steps of this. How can we actually uh, have this rich monitoring within the hardware itself to say what the problem might be? How can we translate that into our systems for troubleshooting so that we don't start you on, hey, help me understand what's your name, what's your asset ID, what's the device, what are the symptoms, but rather we can tell you, hey, we see that there's an error here. Are you talking about this device? Okay, great. Well, let's skip forward to step seven and we're going to help you be able to solve this problem yourself. So for the next step, please go into this menu, click this button and do this thing. And they can do this off hours. They can do this by themselves and they can do this way faster with, by skipping like the first seven questions. And so one of the things that's been key for them is just fundamentally rethinking that entire experience so that they can have this piece of technology on the devices, which is itself an assistant for solving these problems, creating both a better experience for the customers and raising their net promoter score, but also saving a tremendous amount of time for their support center so they can focus on the even gnarlier problems, creating those great experiences. And that therein, John, lies the challenge too. If you think about it, you know, most contact centers are still focused on measuring the kind of metrics that are around average call handle time, getting you in and out, et cetera, and not on that, you know, CSAT and PS in the same way. We continue to have these challenges around this notion that automation pretty much reduces headcount right, and trying to show the ROI of the reduction in headcount instead of thinking about what this may improve of the customer experience or what are we deploying into those you know, complex use cases or how do we you know, ensure the contact you know, resolution is, is resolved in the first time, first time contact resolution. And so the metrics that are defining us um, still need to shift, I think, in the contact center specifically and, and, and move away from this notion of uh, you know, just average core handle time and execution. 
And which then comes to this conversation around like, well, how are we empowering our workforce, right? And what does the change of automation do to impact the future of work? Many conversations have happened, you know, around the replacement of jobs, the refining and reskilling of jobs and the definition of that. And what, you know, I think that fine balance is still something that each organization is going through is how do I find this unique balance of leveraging this automation to help improve my processes? And what do I do with people when they're freed up or is everyone at complete bandwidth capacity that now, you know, people can feel a little bit more empowered to enjoy work. Um, and so that's, that's still, I think, something that is a topic for folks to think about. Yeah, I think that there's a little bit of, uh, a little bit of like change management, you know, and kind of culture shift for this as it gets implemented more widely. You know, when we were talking with the folks from UiPath on the show, you know, it kind of seems like just the idea of, it being called robotic process automation is scary in and of itself. I mean, I think automation is e- is easier to, to palette, but it's kind of funny. Like if you were to go to most people and say like, Hey, would you want to like personal assistant? They'd be like, yeah, that sounds great. Like it'll help you with just menial tasks. But if you're like, do you want a robotic assistant? Then people are like, wait a second. Is there, what's the robot doing? You know what I mean? So I think that there's just a certain amount of like, kind of just that general anxiety around like, what is this doing? You know, is it taking jobs? I think we all know that that's, it's going to augment a lot of things to free people up to do more amazing stuff. But there's, there is some amount of kind of change management there. Yeah, absolutely. And one of the things that I really like about Einstein Next Best Action is it really is your decision-making assistant. And this is a great example of automation that isn't replacing a person, it's helping you be smarter. We're presenting to you uh, what we believe to be the best offers and the best next steps uh, using predictions that both you create as well as AI in the background. And so this is a great example where like the terminology hopefully doesn't get in the way and we're using this type of automation to help people improve their decision making to have better outcomes, even if they're spending the same amount of time on a problem. Can you share like a little bit more about what Einstein Next Best Action is and, and just some of the things that, um, you know, how the product actually works and does things like that? Yeah, Einstein Next Best Action uh, has a builder we call Strategy Builder. And what you do is you load in your insights. And those insights can come from Salesforce and it can come from third-party systems. You then put in together the rules to say, okay, let's merge this branch, let's filter this other one. And then at the end of it, it spits out a recommendation based on the scenario you have. So one common one would be, okay, I'm on the phone call, I'm a sales insur- an insurance salesperson, an agent, and somebody's calling in about insurance. Based on what we know about that person, should we be recommending to them home insurance, fire insurance, or life insurance. And some of the rules that you can put in there are, well, if they live in the state of Hawaii, we are not licensed in Hawaii for home insurance or because of, let's call it flood issues or something like that. And so there would be a rule there would say, okay, if this person calling is from Hawaii, never recommend that. And so these are those little bits of time that save the agent from having to scan down and collect the piece of information to then make a good decision. And this can save time on the call so that they can then focus on the right things and the right offers. Another example that's a little more concrete is uh, we've got a customer in the electronics world. And for their customer support uh, scenarios, 
they had a seven minute process where they would put you on hold just to decide if they could offer a rebate coupon. And what they were able to do is connect all these different systems where they had the different rules and accounts and all the different information that led to that decision, automate that in Strategy Builder, and then out would pop basically a yes or a no, saving that seven minutes of hold time for every customer so that they could in an instant say, oh, we're very sorry for the problems that you had here. We'd love to offer you a rebate on this. We're going to send you that coupon over and have a seamless experience. And so what I love about it also is that it is freemium. We have thousands of customers that have already tried it out because you can get started with up to 10,000 executions every month for free without paying us a dime. And so we've tried to eliminate that barrier for experimentation so that you too can add this extra intelligence and have better decision making for your people. Yeah, and so within service, we you know have announced that we're building on Service Cloud Voice, which is our partnership with Amazon Connect for the telephony and being able to, with other telephony providers, provide you know voice transcription. So that live transcription can really trigger these next best actions as you are having that conversation. So you know to be able to make those offers, to be able to suggest to the agent, making the agent smarter with what they should be doing to sign them up, or, you know, send out a home health nurse, et cetera, and be able to provide that actionable insight as that transcription, as that conversation is happening. Okay, so final, final kind of thoughts here on automation. You know, if you're CIO or CTO, technology leader, head of IT, and you're thinking about dabbling with RPA or automation, um, and you haven't really done it at all yet today, or maybe just a little bit, what would be your recommendation um, of how they could like kind of get started and what would be kind of your, your general thoughts on their strategy? One of the really interesting things about automation today is that there's both the opportunities to address those really big problems where you want to invest uh, basically your developers and your other people in your organization to solve these very high volume, very complex, mission critical, business critical problems. And that's always going to be a part, I think, of the IT organization. And what I think is super interesting is that we're getting closer and closer and expanding the boundaries of where you can apply automation. So you can start solving all of these different problems that previously were just too expensive. And so you'd put people on them. And so we now have this place where you have much cheaper integration through tools like uh, MuleSoft and others so that you can connect all of these legacy systems and the other SaaS systems that you have together so that you can stop the swivel chain. Even further, you've got all these builders that took things you used to have to write code for and give them into the hands of people that don't know how to write code. And so you basically have this really interesting place where we can deliver automation for the masses and both give it to even more people within IT, but also consider giving these tools to people outside of IT. And so then, of course, that leads to the question of how do you have governance? And it's basically an imperative these days to think about how can you ensure that you can deliver basically all of these tools and capabilities throughout your organization so that your teams are not the only ones delivering value, while still ensuring that you have the consistency, whether it's on the data model, or you're adhering to the compliance regulations, or that you're making sure that people are within various limits that you have. 
I think a lot about, you know, if you're going to get started today, there's really easy ways to help customers self-serve and leverage bots, creating ways to help them reach, you know, resolve routine questions and sort of allowing agents to tap into more complexity and really start to free up that human. So if I think if you're thinking through like, how do you design for an, you know, an automation experience today, think through your customer experience of what are the things that will really add value to that customer experience and also add value to your agent in kind of how they are empowered to do more work. So I, we often think about like, where's the biggest ROI for impact and what, what process can we just automate in the background? At the end of the day, it's really about the customer experience and the employee experience. And what are those processes that we should be defining there? I think that, you should be thinking a lot about is this a process that will exist just today or is this one that is much more like business critical and as John's saying, like really allows us to leverage our integration tools to go and build upon. And then when you're thinking about this, like the processes to live today because of the very reasons, like they've existed over time, they've built and grown and automating a bad process doesn't really get us to the place of added value. So, you know, if you're going to re-deliver a new experience in some way, what new telemetry can I now be listening to and have that I can kind of create new experiences? And so with that, like it's much more around our automation doesn't have to be finite for all experiences. It can be dynamic and it can really create, you know, you're starting to listen to different paths and those paths allow us to create new experiences with the automation. So they're not so defined and rigid. Okay, so, uh, you know, final question here before we get into the lightning round. So what's the future of automation? What's, uh, what are you all excited about? What are you kind of building right now? What's next? Yeah, I can start this one. So what I'm super excited about is that automation is just eating the world. We have hundreds of billions of executions across our automation tools every month at Salesforce. But we're also just in the early innings of this. So all the people listening are moving all those legacy apps to public cloud at a breakneck pace. And this is creating this massive need for integration to those tools. It's basically opening up this opportunity, which didn't really exist before, where now you can connect all of this stuff that previously was siloed. And so one of the big themes that I think about and my teams think about is not just how do we continue to make these tools easier to use, and faster and more productive, but also how do we leverage all of those integration capabilities so that you can connect all the tools and save the need to swivel chair across to them. So I think this is a really interesting opportunity and a really interesting time to be in automation and consuming it. Yeah, and for me, I what's next? I feel like automation today has been a lot about us like digitizing these processes, creating you know, a lot of really like technology today to really like fast compute a lot of processes. But our, our opportunity is really infusing all of this with AI, right? And really making us much more intelligent, whether it's, you know, using AutoML to discover and to learn from these processes and so like using natural language processing to help our bots get more intelligent and create a more seamless and empathetic dialogue. There's all these different ways I think that AI will continue to boost and infuse automation. Um, and that's really the future for us and where we're investing a lot of bringing these really work streams together much more closely. Okay, let's get into the lightning round. These questions are fast and easy. Just like the Salesforce Customer 360 platform, 
the number one cloud platform for digital transformation of every experience. You two know it so, so very well. But for our listeners who don't, they should go to salesforce.com slash platform. Check it out if they haven't already. We love Salesforce. And it's been great talking to both of you. If you like this conversation, you should go check out the customer 360 platform. Lightning round questions. John and Tyson are ready. Yep. Let's do it. Okay. We're going to rotate. Feel free to fire away. First question. Start with John. What app are you using on your phone that is the most fun? I'm a sucker for games. One of them that I play for about five minutes every day is Plants vs. Zombies 2, because I know that then I can stop playing and actually do my job. Thanks, Nina. I just got a Peloton, so I am literally on there competing all the time with a Salesforce group already, so we're on the bike um, riding and being able to actually do all the other programs, meditation, et cetera, while I'm traveling, which is fantastic. What about your favorite thing to cook or eat? Um, date night for me with my husband is this crab boil. You get it in a bag, you put like paper on the table and just like with a beer, just sit down and just take your time eating, chatting, catching up and just like good old Southern crab boil. I love it. I've got uh, two small curly haired kiddos, two and a half and four, and we love making pizza. My daughter especially loves using the rolling pin to kind of knead out that dough and put on the toppings, and that's a total blast for the whole family. What do you do for fun, John? So I love going rock climbing, so you'll see me at the rock climbing gym, although not as much as I used to. Uh, it's a great way to stay active without basically slogging it out with weights the traditional way. I just picked up a new hobby this year where I learned to be a crafter making cards. And I bought these like very fancy Japanese coloring pens that just blend and you stamp and you make cards. And who knew there was an entire community of crafters out there who like make things and, and really tap into creativity. It's my way to be Zen. Final question. What are you most excited about? What technology or thing are you most excited about for next year? Flow Builder. So Flow is a fantastic <laughs> technology that we have. And one of the things I'm super excited about is that we are extending the platform to not just do the stuff that Flow does today, but the stuff that workflow rules do and the stuff that process builder does and the stuff that several other tools I'm not at liberty to talk about can do. And so we want to eliminate this tool confusion and have one powerful platform which lets you do all these different automation needs in one place. All right, mine is much more around a technology. I really want to see more of immersive experiences in retail next year. Like I feel like there's all these places already, but Canada Goose just opened up a new store. It's like, how do I go in and experience a product and experience and just like have an immersive um, experience leveraging this technology to do that? Awesome. I love it. That's it. That's all we and got. Oh, go ahead. Sorry, I was just going to answer the um, other question. Can I answer the other app question? Because I just realized I got this really cool app I want to tell you guys about. Yeah, go ahead. All right. So I just downloaded the Time Shifter app. 
it's super cool. So as somebody who travels a lot for work, you can put in your flight and it actually gives you when you should go to sleep, when you should have caffeine, when you should take a cat nap and actually helps you with jet lag. And I've tried it all week and it's been awesome. And I've been able to like get up and be able to travel into three different time zones with it. Time shifter. That's a good one. This is why that might be one of the best one uh, we've heard in a while. Cause that is so relevant. Yeah. You got to go check it out. It was cool. I was, when I installed, I was a little unsure, but it's, it's pretty, it's been pretty effective. Huh? Remarkable. Well, it's been, it's been awesome having you both on. We really appreciate it. Um, Tyson, anything, any final thoughts? Just that I, and thank you for having me. This has been super exciting. I think everybody, it's our chance, especially for customer service to leverage technology to create much more engaging experiences. Um, and together we can make that happen. Awesome. Thanks so much for coming on. Take care. IT Visionaries is created by the team at mission.org and brought to you by the Salesforce Customer 360 platform, the number one cloud platform for digital transformation of every experience. Build connected experience, empower every employee, and deliver continuous innovation with the customer at the center of everything you do. Learn more at salesforce.com slash platform.